Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters, Stephen Barnes yeah. and Sonata Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects, even if it's only one sentence a day. That is the core of part of what it is that we do. If the six-step process to writing a book a year starts with just writing a sentence a day. And the same things are true in terms of stress reduction. Five minutes a day can get you started. In terms of fitness, in terms of relationships, checking in with your family, find the minimum amount that gets you, that's going to get you where you want to go, and you'll start overcoming the resistance. So if you think, I've got to write five pages, that can feel just like an onerous burden. I'm rolling yeah. a gigantic boulder up a hill. But one sentence, you know, that, anybody can do that. And by the time you've done one sentence, you're ready to do more. There it is. So this week, um, kind of some kind of... Good, you know, some kind of illness or bug running through the house. I don't, yeah. I don't want to use a C word yet. I've done two rapid tests and so far negative. I'll get a PCR test on Friday. Well, one of the things to remember is that when you're under stress, the immune system starts breaking down. So you're going to get flu and cold symptoms, even if you're not COVID positive, just because we're under so much stress. Well, that's what fooled me the first day. Because the first day, I'm, I'm a hypochondriac, first of all. So I would be the first person running like to get a PCR test and trying to isolate. But I was attributing it, the fact that I barely wanted to get out of bed Sunday, to the fact that I had worked so hard the previous week. I think that, so. That I had done a super, super tough workout two days in a row. <laughs> and it's happened before. So I didn't really think much of it, although I did do that at-home test. Yes, you know, I don't play yes, around. you did. And I, and, but it's, it's interesting how, you know, the pandemic continues to march on and it's changed. You know, I was thinking, well, if, if I did have it, it wouldn't be like 2020 COVID. Yeah. It wouldn't be like Delta. Well, he, here's one of the things and people, and I have to say unwise people, I'll be, I'll be generous, try to say that, you know, what difference does it make? Everybody's going to get COVID. Well, you know something, it's possible, but I'd rather get COVID five years from now or two years from now. <laughs> right. I'd rather not us all get COVID at the same time and over, you know, overburden the yes. medical system. I'd also rather our doctors and scientists know more about it. You know, the, the, the point is not to absolutely not get it's to slow down the spread of the pandemic so we have a chance to get ahead of this and take a breath and think and be able to manage it the really insidious part uh well it's good and bad with omicron is that everyone talks about how mild the symptoms yeah, are comparatively right? so a lot of people are fooled they think they're yes. having an allergy attack they think they're just a little overtired they right. don't even realize in that a lot it's of covid and it's... and that's not necessarily a problem for them because i'm double uh i'm vaxxed and boosted you're Thank vaxxed God. and boosted. you betcha and people talk about mild symptoms but we have to remember we're in contact with people who have autoimmune disorders, right. who have disabilities. They, they die. You know, it's like it reminds me of the Monty Python routine that there was will be lightly killed. You know, Gosh. <laughs> it's, Gosh. It's, you know, people people don't get the fact that it, it's it's that Dunning Kruger thing. They don't know what they don't know. You know, I hate to give Donald Rumsfeld any credit for oh anything, my God. but it, Did it, it I is. Just bring up Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> It is it is the unknown unknowns going on here. And I just, oh you know, put, put it off as long as possible. Give us some time. Have us, Let's have more time with the people that we love, more time for people to crunch this data. But And just it, a little um, compassion and empathy and, you know, politeness, wearing a mask. Anyway, don't get me started. Well, how many stories have you written? Because one of the themes that we have here is you take a well of deep 
emotion and you find some way to put that into the art that you're doing. I mean, emotion is the fuel for whatever it is that you're doing. So you've written on about pandemics multiple times. True. You know, so it's almost like there's a thing in the back of your head that was always worried about this. I have a story called Herd Immunity that was in Lightspeed Magazine also, right? And, and it's basically about like one of the last survivors wandering on a road. She meets a guy who's wearing a mask. <laughs> And she's like, dude, why are you wearing a mask? Right. Obviously, you're immune or you wouldn't have survived this long. Right. Let's start a village. Let's start humanity over again. And he's like, "Yeah, you know what? Keep your distance. We'll see about that, sister. She, While he's asleep, she right. sneaks and kisses him. And the next morning, he's got it. He's got it. And I think that is human nature. It's not that we want, well, by we, I'm not going to lump myself in with people who are just really just strident anti-masker well it's a it's a continuum but it, it's it's this uh really desire for a human community right and human closeness like why people like we went to atlanta i was terrified on the plane you know it was my first trip right uh after i heard all these reports where omicron was sounding pretty insidious and i, I was like well okay uh universe if we make it through this i will be so good and i am so good that's the thing uh, that also makes me kind of doubtful that it's COVID is I never leave this house. Right. <laughs> like I can pinpoint, oh, there was that time I went to the grocery store on the 11th to get my son's birthday cake. Could have been then when I was in there for 10 minutes. But, you know, it's just like and he, we homeschool our son. There are just so few opportunities. You know, for me, it's the assumption that at some point I will come in contact with it. I mean, I'm masked, vaxxed, you know, the, the supplemental vaccine, do everything I can. But also doing all I can to keep myself as healthy as possible, as energetic yeah. as possible. How do I raise my energy to the highest level so that if I do get it, I've got a reserve of strength and energy to fight it off. So it's do everything, po it's a little bit like studying the martial arts. You know, you do everything, you, you don't walk down dark alleys, you know, you yeah, don't true. don't tug on Superman's <laughs> cape. <laughs> you know? Right, but, right, right. But in, in the case that something, and if you can't run away, then you fight. Right. So it's like, I don't want, I don't want this. I don't want to bring it home. I don't want to give it to you. I don't want to give it to Jason. And I don't want to give it to, for instance, my mentor, Larry yeah, Niven, you, you know, who's in his eighties now and his wife is in her eighties now. And about once a month, you know, I go over to their house and do all I can because they're, they're starving for human contact. And that's back to this thing. This is what's driving it is like the whole point of herd immunity was that her desire for community. Yes was so strong that she just convinced herself that she knew what was best for him, what was best for them. Right. And I think that's what we're all doing. We're kind of like rationalizing, like, well, I would never do that. But if it involves like a loved one, you know, <laughs> Yeah. obviously I don't have COVID, so sure, I'm going to go. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that balance. How much isolation, right. how much does commerce matter? Uh, how much does human, does a human hug matter? How many things will kill us besides the diseases and if you if you believe that this is a real thing i mean real real thing this is our generational plague you still have to crunch that other data the problem is that there are people who don't believe it yeah. who are crunching that data coming up and they were they were led by a well i the, the steven seagal of politics is what donald trump oh my gosh you just brought up steven seagal and donald trump <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> You know, right. And so that, you know, we we have to try to find ways to find peace and art and love and connection in the midst of the chaos of life. So that's that's life writing. You know, that's what yes. we're doing. And we have a oh guest today. God. I cannot believe how, did, how I was, did you how did you do this? OK, everybody. Well, you know who the guest is because it says so on the title of the podcast. That's why we've been being a little coy with it. But just so you guys know, it's like one of these social media things, I guess, because Patton Oswalt reached out to me on Twitter, I guess is what I'm thinking, when he was compiling his horror anthology called Ghost Box. And I had no idea he was a horror fan. Uh, so All the best people are. And I just have to say, we had <clears throat> literally just started the podcast. Like we hadn't even recorded, I think, the first episode or hadn't uploaded the first episode. Right. When you brought up the podcast, 
on the Roy Wood Jr. podcast we did for The Daily Show. And Roy Wood Jr. was like, oh, yeah, can I be on your podcast? We're like, what? <laughs> and then <laughs> Patton made the mistake of reaching out to me <laughs> on Twitter to tell me something about his podcast. Everyone like, makes mistakes in life. Well, I was like, well, what the heck? I'll just invite Patton Oswalt. We haven't even really started. And he said yes, everybody. So right now in our green room, well, coming out of the green coming room Coming out right of the now, green room. Patton Hi, I'm so excited Steve. you're here. Hi, Tanana How you doing? We are doing so great. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, when you say you are doing so great, that is a uh, qualified so great because as you guys just outlined, there is a unshakable undercurrent of paranoia to every to just sure. every moment that we live in now. It is yes. part of the fabric of life, which, which is a weird thing. There, there are days I have to stop and make myself realize, oh, you normally wouldn't be having the thoughts that you're having right now, but you have to have them in terms of someone's coming over. Do you have a mask? Do we, if there's all this stuff that, that very quickly became the norm. Yes. It's very weird. It is it's weird. amazing how, how much human beings can get used to, isn't it? it? Well, yeah, but it's also, it's kind of frightening uh, how much human beings yes. can get used to. Um, it, it's really hard. It, it, I, it, it'll be really interesting to see how they, these last four years and the pandemic affect pop culture and and movies and books and art in terms of the nefarious government conspiracy, the way people react to a pandemic. All of those cliches, I feel like, have been kind of exploded because yes. of how we've seen that people react. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people who watched movies, you know, where the zombies are coming and everybody, nobody behaves in a, sim in a, in a sensible way, said, well, that's not realistic. Well, we had a chance to see what happens is. when tribal behavior is in conflict with common sense. I mean, how weird is it now to rewatch that movie, The Mist, and the most oh. moment is when Andre Brower is going... I'm sorry. I just I don't accept what's happening, and I'm going to walk out there and show you guys that you're. And people like there are people covered in blood running out of the mist, screaming for help, and we're hearing weird monster sounds. And he's like, "I'm I'm sorry. I disagree, and it's my right to disagree." And he walks out there and is immediately killed. Like that is so. That's the that is so insanely realistic. The only thing that's unrealistic is in in the reality that we've seen. Half of that supermarket would have walked out with Andre. Brown. Right. No, well, here's You're the frightening thing right. to me, Patton. The frightening thing is the possibility, or actually almost inevitability, that everyone does this in some areas of our lives. There is information. Mm. We are deletion creatures. You know, yes. You know, we we don't. We have these ideas about life, and once they get to a certain degree of of solidity within us, contradictory information that comes in it just bounces off. We don't pay attention. Right. Where are we not noticing in our own lives? That they, how do we become conscious? You know that that is is terrifying. You know if we can when when we come through this, hopefully we will have learned things. It will have modified our society in some useful and positive ways. I, I believe I believe that human beings have been around for a long time. I don't think I just happen to be lucky enough to have a front center seat at the at Armageddon. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know well, I. Go ahead. You, no, go you, ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's related to our overall fear of mortality. Like these yeah. ways that we have denial about small things yes. is a way of denying the fact that life is finite because we feel like we might just curl up in bed all day if we thought about death. I don't know. Well, it's a much, it's a, it's a cosmic version of when you have a deadline or you have a project to begin writing and you will re-alphabetize your bookshelves or you will, you know, go and get all the laundry folded because you, your mind, it, it is such an amorphous task that is completely up to you that you crave. Give me a task where there's a clearly a, a set goal that I know that I can reach. Right. It, it's a weird and it's a it's an endorphin relief to have that to 
to fill the dishwasher and start washing dishes. Well, I accomplished something. <laughs> exactly, not, not the thing. I'm literally not a about. single letter on the page. Yeah, let, let me like, take out the neighbor's trash. You know, <laughs> yes. I, let me cut the cat's toenails. Anything, <laughs> anything but this deadline. Actually, this is sort of a great transition to horror because we are living in a real life horror story. And yes. I did not know you were such a horror fan when oh you reached God. out to me about Ghost Box. So I'm like wondering now. Well, first of all, there are articles that talk about how horror fans were better equipped. For the pandemic, because we're always rehearsing for disaster, I think. On one well, it's, you know, just fiction in general, there are re there's research that suggests that people in emergency rooms and people who are waiting for loved ones in who have are reading novels cope yep. better emotionally with the stress than people who are looking at nonfiction. So, Patton, first, I wanted to ask you if you think that's true. Do you feel like you were better prepared as a horror fan? And also, where did your love for horror come from? My love for horror came. Well, let me let me address the first question first, because what you're what you're saying is absolutely true, and it goes back to something that Stephen King wrote about in his book *Dance Macabre*, his first a wonderful memoir, book, where he where he said, you know, the kids I grew up with that watched monster movies and read famous monsters of Filmland and and read Edgar Allan Poe and stuff like that were were able to deal with how quickly the world began to shift and get scary in terms of Sputnik and then the Kennedy assassination. Mm. Like they had already imagined all these scenarios, whereas. He had a friend, and I've never forgotten this story. He had a friend who, um, I don't let, let my kid watch these horror movies. I don't want to mess them up. I don't want him to live in fear, blah, blah, blah. And the guy was a huge baseball fan, and the kid started having really serious nightmares. And, and they were, what were the nightmares about? And they were about a monster called the Twilight Doubleheader. And the kid had overheard his dad because there were no other stimuli in terms of monsters and scariness. And even when you're a kid, you sense that there's death and entropy and stuff, but you don't, you can't put a word to it yet. Right. So he turned this thing that he overheard his dad saying, oh, there's a Twilight doubleheader tonight, two baseball games, into a monster that, that he could oh. then, you know. So yeah, it, absolutely people that I think that read just fiction, but especially horror and imaginative and speculative fiction I think are so much better able to, I mean, we, we better prepared and better able to cope because you can imagine solutions and ways out of it. Yes. Right. You're, you're gaming you're potential problems. You're saying if this happens, you can do this, 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 and this. And I, one of the things that I think is most important is to understand just because you can't think of a solution doesn't mean there isn't a solution. Exactly. The, the, the limits of the universe are not the limits of your knowledge. No, and also um, sometimes the solution comes in the moments where you don't panic when you realize that there's no solution. If that doesn't freeze you up, then you have the breathing space to find the solution. Exactly. That's part of Critical. that. Yeah. Exactly. And I know that uh, one of the things that I advise people is to take five breathing breaks during the day. Even if it's no more than one, one minute, 60 seconds of deep slow diaphragmatic breathing every three hours like nine o'clock twelve o'clock what you'll do is you literally reset your body's stress response it i could i could talk about the physiology of it or the wow. or, or the connection it is it's an amazing thing it absolutely works and no more really five minutes a day and you can start getting control of our body's natural response to stress idiocy you know, uh, you know. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one we really need. Is tea, the, uh... tea party madness. You know, what, whatever it is that's causing you that stress, so that it doesn't become strain, and so that you can enjoy your life. Stress is non-negotiable. Stress, yeah. strain, on the other hand, you have you have some say about. Before I forget, I want to go back to that first, the second part of that other question, oh. though. Where did where did your love for horror come from? Uh, it just came from I, I was a very very imaginative kid, and when I first started seeing that. Um, I think it's almost like because I was imagining, I was trying to imagine outside of the bounds of what I was seeing. Most monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, are just an extension and a mutation of what the bounds of our being are. So, you know, Frankenstein, is it's the human body, but then kind of mutated and amplified. And then, you know, Dracula looks very elegant, but inside there's this ravening beast. The Wolfman is hair growing, the creature from the Black Lagoon. I just loved that someone had managed to personify this, again, this thing that I couldn't articulate because I was so young, but the idea of, isn't there more than what I'm seeing right now? Isn't there something outside of the bounds of what I'm seeing? And, oh, someone just 
personified that. They figured out a, a symbol and a totem for that. So I was always drawn. First, you're always drawn in by the monsters. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and I was very lucky that I was drawn in by the Universal Monsters, all of which, and I rewatched all the movies this past Halloween because the Criterion Channel did a whole thing about Universal horror. And except for Dracula, all of the Universal Monsters are these tragic figures that are like, I didn't ask for this. I'm trying my best to live and function in the world. And so it th there's this amazing level of pathos. And there are, mo especially as a little kid, when you're like, I didn't mean to cause the ruckus that I caused. I don't know any better. It, like Frankenstein is, is a giant five-year-old. It's a five-year-old with superhuman strength. That's all True. he is. Yes. And so there's moments where you really feel for the guy. So all those things, there are moments when you're growing up that you feel monstrous or out of place. And so that all just drew me in. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And then I You know, I what? think that the earlier you come into contact with the fact that there are unknown unknowns, that there's something yes. beyond the limit, it's traumatic, but it gives you the time to adjust. The people who grew up in a world where everything seemed to fit. When they finally come in contact with chaos, if they're in their 30s, 40s, sometimes they just break. Yeah. They, they're, they're, too, yeah. they're too rigid. So those of us who got broken early, who realize, <laughs> you know, my parents don't know everything. The society does not right. know who I am. You yeah. know, and for me, it was like in first grade when they literally sorted me into the slow reading group because of my skin color. You know, and it's like I knew at that moment that the world was wrong. Right. You know, the, and, and how do you know, the, the adults, the very people who are supposed to give me passage through life, show me how the world's supposed to work, were wrong about something that essential. And yeah. it, it took me, well, it took me, that was just the beginning of me feeling, I don't belong here. Where do I belong? What is true? Who am I? Right. Uh, ultimately, I think it was very good for me, you know, but yeah. it, it, it sucked. 
Yeah, I, I my first uh, the first horror fan in my life was my late mother, Patricia Stevens Dew, really? who was a civil rights activist. Yes, you know, I talked to a lot of black women, especially black men, too. They get their love of horror from parents, aunts, grandparents. And I like your story, Patton, because it seems like a gentler story. <laughs> in my mom's <laughs> case, uh, she was like a, a police officer threw a tear gas canister in her face when she was 20 years old. Uh, leading a nonviolent march, you know, to desegregate lunch counters in Tallahassee, Florida, as a student at Florida A&M University. And she wore dark glasses for the whole rest of her adult life, 80% of the time because of her sensitivity to light. So I say all that to say she suffered like a physical trauma during the civil rights era. And I used to think it was weird that someone with that background was so into horror. <clears throat> and I mean, like, so into it. But now I think it was because of that trauma that she was so into horror because she could confront her fear, her anger in the form of the monster um, yeah. where you can vanquish it or at least you can learn from it. Or at the very least, it wasn't real. OK, so whatever just happened on that screen is not as was not as real as her fear for her grandsons growing up in a society where being pulled over by the police might mean that your grandson gets killed yeah the very forces of authority that if if you if the if society supports you the very forces of authority that you look to that you say if i'm in trouble i will go to these people right. are forces of madness and potential murder if you're the underclass if you're not that and it's there is a dissociation there yeah that i never thought of it that way that it must have almost been uh, comforting and sometimes amusing for your mom to read the these horror novels where the oh I hope the police show up and <laughs> where she's like I would love it if a mutated slime creature were running around and we were all united in trying to battle the thing rather than because you're right her monsters were these amorphous clean shaven members of, of right. the authoritative class very fine people there yeah. was a it's really interesting now I've, I've really gone down a uh rabbit hole your um uh book uh, ghost summer really helped me also that um uh short story that you recommended to me um wet pain oh um, good terrence taylor it, yes oh god this whole and 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 it really came into focus for me i was i was listening to a lecture by nk jemison and she was saying all of the like marginalized groups and, you know, minority groups almost look at like there's a lot of white narratives about an apocalypse where society collapses and then you got to survive in the wasteland with your mutants and your trained dogs and your, you know, super powered car. But indigenous populations and minority populations actually have experienced apocalypses in for real. Yes. Um, like we are actually living in a post your your nice world is our post-apocalypse. Do, do you see, like, yes. and, and so we're, we're starting to finally see those points of view and those narratives come through. And it's really, it's really fascinating to see a lot of the, like, look, I don't know if you guys watched The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. I was stunned at how the, the whole show is about, hey, all these last Marvel movies that you were enjoying with Captain America and, and Iron Man, the the weapon building industrialist, they actually were causing way more problems than they were solving. Like that's not good. What right. you were cheering <laughs> on, and then to have the friggin' neo Nazi on the show actually make a point about he's like, um, you you're you're uh, on me for being into super soldiers. The only p p people I'm seeing using super soldiers is America. You used our techniques. Like I'm trying to destroy them. I at least saw that that's wrong. And he like it was just so. I'm like I can't believe that this is what this show is about. This is friggin' awesome. It really <laughs> is. You know, Good narratives in in terms of in terms of race and gender. I think those are the two major yes knots that we're trying to figure out. You know, I think race has had you know 400 years of misinformation, and Ooh. I think gender we have had thousands of years of the human race behaving in one way, in my opinion, because it produced the maximum grandchildren. It didn't matter who was, whether anybody was happy. You know, you could, <laughs> you could throw lives away, you could throw dreams away, just get those grandbabies out there. And now since, since effective birth control, 
in essence. One of the one of the great reproductive biologists who's a buddy of mine, Dr. Jack Cohen, said that, that prior to effective birth control, women were either lactating or pregnant all the time. Now we are literally changing that for the first time in human history. And we're starting to ask ourselves questions about, well, who are we really? If we're not just concerned right. with survival, because we got enough, we don't need any more people. If, 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 yeah. We're on the people, okay? Yeah. We're, we're drowning in people. Check, Check people. that box, guys. Everyone calm down. <laughs> Who are we, really? If black people, I think that the, the assumption was black inferiority. I mean, that's what's said in the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, Pope, you know I, when I was about eight years old, I came really? across it. Uh, yes, the Encyclopedia Britannica. My, <laughs> some friends of mine had an old Britannica. And I looked at the race thing, and they said it very clearly. You know, it was like, you know, whites are the most intelligent, followed by Asians, and black people are last. And it said that, and to, I don't know what, what I had to do within myself to resist what the Encyclopedia Britannica said, but it's surprising that I did not become a criminal because you start right. rejecting what society says is right. Because if I believe society, I have to believe that there's something wrong with me. Right. And I think that, that only the 21st century, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is the first time we're starting to really question that little knot right there. And it's very yeah. uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yep. I want to ask you uh, another question, Pat, and we actually had a chance to talk to Jordan Peele for our uh, Sunken Place uh, horror class nice. that we teach online. And one of the things that... He... By the way, when I, when I saw his interview in Horror Noir, I texted him because on the shelf behind him was the large format paperback of Stephen King's Dance Macabre. I'm like, oh, there you I go. Dance Macabre. Like, that, was, that was such a formative book for me. So anyway... Sorry, go ahead. No, that's great, but this is a perfect segue to this question. Yes. He talked a little bit about the relationship between horror and comedy, because I don't think it's a coincidence that he comes from a comedy background. And and oh, one of the things oh. he talked about was, was how in both horror and comedy, you turn on subverting the audience's expectations, one for yes. a scream, one for a laugh. And I was just wondering your thoughts on the relationship, since obviously most people know you. Because you're a funny guy. I have heard you talk about horrific incidents, a, a, a bar fight where a guy picked a guy up and dropped him on his head. It, one could have turned that into a horror story about mankind, and somehow you got laughs out of it. It's hysterically funny. How do you do that? Because get the, the mechanism for getting a laugh and a scream, it's the same mechanism. And you'll notice in the truly, truly horror movie, like, genuinely scary to the bone movies like Jaws or The Exorcist, if you ever go see them in a theater with people, they are screaming and also laughing because they're so like, there's laughter in the fact that, oh my God, we're so scared right now. Yes. Like, I can't believe after the big scream, then there's like some chuckles. Like, can you believe we just got taken to that point because the person used the exact same uh, mechanism. And there are certain movies where it almost becomes blended. Some of the violence and, the early Monty Python movies is is framed and filmed like a horror movie, but it's done so crazy over the top yeah. that you can only laugh at it. And especially the Final Destination movies. They're oh, hysterical. yes. They're hysterical. Even in the theater where you literally see what's being set up and you start laughing because <laughs> you're delighted at what the filmmakers are like. Oh, they're really setting something really cool up here and you know by the way the, you, if you watch old roadrunner cartoons there is it's this perfect combination of like there's coyote he's made this catapult it's gonna fling it's gonna hit the um roadrunner there there's horror in that he's trying to kill this bird and then when he springs it the, the he just drops the rock on him instead and flies it, which is horrible, but also hilarious because that's not what was supposed to happen. Right. Even though it ends up so, yeah, it's the exact same mechanism. And you know, Jordan, who, um, you know, Key and Peele was such a hilarious show yes. that he knew that. And by the way, there are moments in, especially Get Out, that are a combination laugh and also kind of like when Bradley Whitford goes, "I would have voted for Obama a third time." Oh, yes. yes. Every white liberal in the audience, including me, is like. Oh shit! Wait a minute. Did I ever say that? Oh fuck! I think I said that to someone. Oh no! no, no. Like you're touching something critical right there. I think that Jordan Peele started a conversation we have needed to have for a very long time, but it, it was a different conversation for white people and black people. It seemed that the conversation for for black people was: Is there anyone we can trust? 
where do yeah. we find allies? Even the yeah. people who love us and sleep with us can be traced. Where is their tribe? And I think the conversation for white people seem to be, have things gone to a point where we cannot communicate? Where even if we have yeah. good intentions, it, it's in a context where we're not going to be trusted. How do we break through this? And I think that there, but because Jordan is a world-class comic, that he yeah. knew exactly how to how to take you to the point where it's very uncomfortable and then make you laugh to release enough of the tension that you don't go into that it's only a movie space. Let me yeah. let me spill some tension here so I can keep you right here with this subject. And I think that, that yeah. it, to that degree, the socially conscious comedians or horror writers are performing a service that human beings are smart. We scream or we laugh to adjust our tension level so we stay in that healthy zone. Life can be nightmarish. Everything yeah, yeah. we love can be taken away from us. How do we find joy anyway? Well, also the way forward through progress, um, you have to embrace the fact that it's going to be sloppy and uncomfortable and clumsy at first. And you have to, if you don't let that, if you don't let, if you can get beyond going, hey, you're going to be embarrassed sometimes. You're going to say some stupid shit trying to make a connection. Don't let that stop you. Just go, just own when you screw up and go, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. And then, but we're, we're I think we live in a culture now, especially because that whole phrase, the internet is, is forever. Everyone is so afraid of making a mistake or looking stupid because they're afraid that'll be frozen and turn into a meme and turn it. It's like, yeah, you, you fuck up all the time. It's okay. Just own it and go keep doing stuff. It, it's okay. Yes. Like, like don't, because that's going to stop more progress. Wanting, I, I remember um, Chris Rock said, comedians stop being funny when they start wanting to be cool. The minute you want to start being cool, you stop being funny. Cool is the um, enemy of funny. And I also think that cool is the enemy of progress. You're mm -hmm. going to fuck up and do stupid shit, um, but, but you're trying. That's okay. You know, it, it's okay. So, you know, that 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 moment of Bradley, it, you know, Bradley Whitford's character is evil. If Bradley Whitford had been playing a more advanced and elevated character, he would have gone, you know, I would have voted for Obama a third time. Holy shit, I can't believe I just said that. Did, did you, did like, the, he, then he would have, like, owned it and rolled with it. But that's, that's in a... That's not in a horror movie. Well, know? it's not in a horror movie yeah. where the guy actually is there to kill this young man. Yeah, no, now, he was saying that, that because that's a, this is what the kind of thing that will put him at ease. He's he's thinking yes. down at this guy. I, I wanted. We had a, a mutual friend, uh, Harlan Ellison. Oh my god! And, and yeah. I've known. I knew Harlan. You know, since I was a teenager. Wow. And I actually stalked him and started going to all of his all of his uh, uh, interviews and all of his lectures and sit in the front row until he started noticing me there. And then we started talking and then we became friends. But I remember something he said about creativity. He said the creativity emerges from the burning core. That was that was the phrase that he used, the burning core of what we are. To me, I look at that and I look at at fear and sex, death and sex as being the primary energies that drive humanity and that that our creativity you take a look you know harlan did an entire anthology love ain't nothing but sex misspelled yeah so much of his work came from a sense of human beings can be so much more than they are and he was furious that people did not wake up we did not love each other we did not you know we did not really engage with the meat of our lives and he just was this volcano of creativity yeah. at his peak i mean the man was insanely creative and i just wondered you must have had conversations with him about life and work and so i just wondered whether or not you can touch on anything there yeah i would go to his house up to the uh the Toy drive the Aztec Temple of Mars. Yes. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Alice, Alice in Wonderland. Wonderland. That's right. He would open a sleeve of Ritz crackers for me and uh, have put a pot of coffee on. And we would just talk about, I mean, uh, one of the things that he always was, and again, it, it's kind of what, what put him out of step with the internet age, is that, and, and there's a famous quote about himself. He goes, when I, when I think of myself, I'm a combination of Zorro and Porky Pig. Jiminy Cricket, days, too. He would say and, Jim, and Zorro and Jiminy Cricket. Some days I'm really wise. Some days I'm a friggin' idiot and, and embarrassing and clumsy. Some days I'm the suavest motherfucker on the planet. That's right. That's right. All of those are me. And he goes, people spend so much time just trying to be the one thing 
and not owning the other parts of themselves. And it freezes them, like you said, from reaching their full potential. You know, some of the stories he wrote um, were terrible. Some of them were great. Um, some of them were, some of them were, he was writing short porn stories. You got to, got to pay the rent, man. Like, it's, Hey, look, some of the things he said were terrible. <laughs> oh. <laughs> some of the things he said were so yeah. wise. You right? know, I, I saw him, I saw he him, do, all those things. I saw him do things that were so kind and so wise and so smart. And I also saw him do things that were cruel. Yeah, me too. It, I, I also remember talking to him and I got really angry at him when, this was before the 2016 election, and he's like, oh, Trump's absolutely going to win. This country, Trump Trump has was going to win ever since America chose Nixon in the early 70s. They had a choice. They could have chosen um, somebody good and gone, but no, they wanted the, the cheap used car salesman, and they wanted Reagan. They wanted the cowboy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they're going to choose the, the, the funny guy that says outrageous things just to entertain themselves. And I was like, you're so, you're so stuck in the early 70s were gonna move beyond and he was absolutely right like he was absolutely right and but at the time i saw it as nihilism and and cynicism and it really mm. pissed me off so sometimes even in his nihilism and cynicism <laughs> he it, was it, still it, could be, it could be illustrative or illuminating of something right yeah. even the way that you're wrong is still teaching us something <laughs> yeah. what you're saying about about owning all you are harlan may have been the most harlan human being i've ever met he was more himself than almost anybody i've ever met the guy you know when he, he said on his door dig or split he just dig or split th- this right. is just who he was you know yeah. it's like do, do you like this i happened to adore him me i, I just him. loved him and he he okay. knew it and it was prickly because i know that People always wanted to to be fast gun with Harlan, and I wanted to be fast gun with Harlan too. And I got I, I got shown the truth. I fucked around and found out. Well, I just have to <laughs> point out an instant of kindness. I met Harlan at my first horror writers association meeting when I published oh. my first novel, The Between, back in and uh, <laughs> a long time ago. And I gave him an autographed copy, and I think two weeks later, he somehow got my phone number and called me up to correct mistakes <laughs> in the yep. book, typos, grammatical yep. errors. Yep. You know, I did not know this man. <laughs> and then he asked me if I was uh, <clears throat> having sex with Stephen Barnes, which was not a, <laughs> that's not how he put it. That's not how he put it, but he, uh, and I was just aghast and, you know. Phrased it more viscerally, I, like, I believe. What? Is, um, what? Isaac Asimov said about Harlan Ellison, he has the most intelligence and zero tact. He zero, has, I think his, it goes directly from brain to mouth with no stop at common yes, sense. Yes, I, so, so there's no sorting it. So sometimes the thing that goes from brain to mouth is brilliant, and sometimes <laughs> it is a, I think, are we about to start fighting? Because I want to kill you right now. <laughs> Literally like that. All of that. Well, yeah, I remember. All of that. No, my first wife and I took him to dinner and my, within 10 minutes of the evening, my wife, you, I could tell she was like, I do not like this guy. Whereas I'm delighted and he would <laughs> argue with, I took him to Jar. Why would I, why did I take him to a nice restaurant? I could have, I should have taken him to friggin' Red, Red Lobster because he complained about everything. He had a fight with a waiter. Oh There's my no, God. You got crab deviled eggs. There's no way you got crab in the devil. How are you, how do you do that? How, tell me how you do that. And I'm like, Harlan, they're just bringing, they just want to bring us food. You don't have to win. <laughs> you don't need to win this encounter. Just oh order some freaking food and eat it. Shut the fuck up. Like it was so, but it was, it was an evening with Harlan. So there, there you go. go. But yeah, I mean that, that you know, he, there are, again, Harlan was one of those guys and this will, this will always keep happening. Harlan is one of those people. And, and I think a lot of progressives can't deal with this. And I've had problems with this too, but you also, I'm, I'm thinking I'm a little better at embracing it where Yes, he was very much on the forefront of a lot of things, and he kicked a lot of doors open. And then sometimes a lot of the doors that you kick open then create a world that you paradoxically maybe don't fit into as well anymore because people have then moved beyond you in right. their in right. their in their realization. It, it my, the analogy that I always use is you know Joan Rivers, who basically laid on barbed wire so that uh, female comedians could you know make the inroads that they did. Um, then started getting a lot of shit at the end of her career for you know some of the stuff that she did that didn't age all that well. And and I, I always wanted to argue, I'm like, treat her the way that John Wayne is treated at the end of The Searchers. 
where the reason that you're able to live in this more egalitarian, more liberal world was because someone a little more foul-mouthed and brass-balled had to kick these doors open for you. Right. you know, maybe acknowledge that the paradox of it, but don't throw her, don't have her go walk between the winds. Like that she did what she had to do. There's plenty of people that, you know, unfortunately, I mean, if you look at, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to go down like all these weird roads, but you know, a, a lot of there's, there's, there's progress. And then you have to keep in, keep in mind the times that the people were making the progress in and maybe forgive them a little bit sometimes. Absolutely. I, you know, and, even when I'm doing readings sometimes of older stories, I come yeah. across words and phrases. I literally will skip over <laughs> in the reading yeah. because it just, like you said, it hasn't aged well, you know, and I grew, yeah. I was raised by civil rights activists. I've always believed in rights for everyone. Um, but I've made mistakes. Oh, Steve yeah, makes mistakes. You know, I have to retrain myself in language. I have to retrain, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that I'm trying to embrace and I embrace it happily. But even right. embracing it happily, I'm still going to make mistakes. You know, it, it isn't just a matter of the world moving on. Sometimes it's you brutalize yourself. If you're up, yeah. if you're up against obstacles, the things that you do, you know, life is a procrustean bed. It will cut the pieces of you off that don't fit the mold that you're trying to fit into. Yeah. When Octavia Butler and I were the only black science fiction writers in the world for like 20 years, I asked myself the question, how much did I compromise? How many compromises did I make that were not good for my soul? You know, and if it's true that I helped to keep the doors open, there, there is that question, do I fit in this new world? Right now, the, the, the opportunities are really there for members of, the, of that younger group who don't have those wounds. Right. And they might very yeah. well look at the choices that I made and say, well, you know, you were a coward, you were a sellout. I could see them feeling that way. I wonder that about myself. I remember asking Ray Bradbury about that. I was just sitting at a, at a table with him. He was speaking at my class at UCLA and I just opened my heart to him, just wondering whether or not I had sold so much of myself that I could not reclaim my spirit. And, you know, he, he looked, he said, well, you know, have you published? And I mentioned, oh, I've, yeah, I've published nine books, you know, at, at that time. And this, that, and the other. He just started laughing. And he said, oh, you know, you will have no problem at all. And like another Harlan's friends, Leo and Diane Dillon, the artists. Wow. I said the same you got, question. You got to meet them? Yes. I had, I had uh, uh, lunch with them in, in Greenwich Village. They came out to meet, to meet with me, and I thought I was going to talk to them about my wife, at the, my first wife, who wanted to be an artist, but I realized that I was in the presence of real art, you know, where, where one of them would stop a line, the other one would start it. They collaborated on their art, and that was what, was what I saw between them was real, and it was something that I had never experienced. And I just started crying at the table, just kind of gushed out, you know, is it too late for me? That sense of, you know, did the compromise I made to survive in the business numb me to my own sense of, of self? And they looked at each other and, and Diane Dillon reached across the table and took my hands. And she said, one of the kindest things anyone has ever said to me in my life. She said, Stephen, if you can even ask the question, it's not too late. Great. Yeah, that's what's great about the creative arts. There is no such thing as too late in the creative arts. There's just no such thing. And because no. you are always bringing a unique perspective to what you're doing because no one else is you. So as long as you're being true to yourself at whatever age you are, it doesn't matter. I know that Hollywood is all about youth is king. And that's because people have twisted the old, you know, it was either Greek or Roman thing about Oops, you froze a little bit. Uh. Rosebud. So people, you know, with some sort of, with some sort of a, a communication error, a power outage, something, and we lost Patton. So hopefully we will continue that interview at a later time. You'll have an opportunity. Of course, he might always pop back on while we're wrapping this up. You, just, you just don't know. So we uh, only had a few minutes left. And, and really the main thing I wanted to ask him was about the relationship between stress and creativity. I know he's worked out some stresses in his routines and also if he had any practices that help him stay centered so let's talk about our practices yeah we sure will so i mentioned the five minute miracle just stopping once every three hours and doing 60 seconds of deep slow diaphragmatic breathing in five minutes a day you can literally rewire your body's uh reaction to stress it's not five minutes all at one time it is five 
breathing breaks during the day. It's, it's far better to break it up into smaller chunks, 60 seconds. And if you do that, just set the alarm in your watch for, you know, three hour bursts or nine o'clock, 12, three, six, nine. For instance, every time it goes off, you just be conscious of your breathing, go on the internet, look up diaphragmatic breathing or talk to a yoga or a Qigong instructor, sometimes even like an opera, you know, a singing teacher to give you an understanding of what proper breathing is. If you will do that, you will, you can save your life and your sanity and stay calm in the midst of, you know, you're, it's, it's an eye of the storm. You're, you're finding the eye in the center of the hurricane. What's so funny is that during episode two, I think it was, I, I mentioned at the top of the show that, oh yeah, I realized I haven't been doing my meditation and I kind of brought it out to the public, but did I actually start my meditation after saying that? No, I didn't. So Sometimes we're hiding from ourselves. Those stress coping mechanisms we know actually work. I actually use VR. I use an Oculus Quest, which in a program called Supernatural, this is not an ad, but I do work out to it a lot. And it has a good meditation app. And I like to meditate to VR. I can also meditate with the Calm app. I also can meditate just by breathing. Uh, count of four in, hold it for four, exhalation count of eight. And like Steve said, that deep, diaphragmatic breathing. So yes, I don't know if whatever the little bug in the house is stress related or if it's something uh, viral, but in any case, don't give up on those practices, especially when things are going well. My favorite form of meditation is actually just uh, listening to my heartbeat. Um, and if you get quiet enough, uh, relax enough, you can feel the blood pulsing in your body. But you can also start by taking your pulse um, at, at, at the wrist or at the throat in order to feel that. And it, it, that awareness will, starts pulling you into the core of who it is that you are. If you have stress in your life, the idea is that you turn that stress into action. And in turning the stress into action, the action that, that actually helps to solve issues in your life, you don't get trapped in fear. So it's that you're using your fear, using that powerful emotion. Fear and love are probably the most powerful primal emotions. Put those to work. Find things to write about, to sing about, to, to perform about that need those emotions. And you put it there. And you, you keep yourself from, from blowing up, from, from tying knots in your psyche so that you get burnout from all that energy. It's, it's like becoming a room temperature superconductor. Um, you, that energy is there to, to benefit you. These are the kinds of things that we teach about in the Life Writing Premium program, our year-long program for people who are, want to live high-energy creative lives, especially writing. Our sponsor, as a matter of fact. Yes, Why it's we our get sponsor. to have these great conversations. Yeah, we put years and years of work. Every week, you'll get another email from us with with videos and audios and assignments and lectures and you know things that you can do that week to move your career forward so that you understand the the link between who you are and what you create. And that's at lifewritingpremium.com. It's our best program. And, you know, we're, and we're constantly looking for ways to make it even better. So when you, when you join the program, you're actually joining a community of people who believe in the high energy, creative, successful, healthy lifestyle of an artist. And if you're enjoying these conversations on the podcast and you're a writer, just imagine how much you'll enjoy those conversations when they're about the actual craft notes, characterization, world building, yes, sir. everything you can think of, historical it, fiction, speculative fiction. We've got everything in there in lifewritingpremium.com. So, so the, in, in just to make sure that you want to stay on the list once you're listening to this, just give us your email address over at lifewritingweekly.com so we can keep you posted as to when we're posting something. We can have, have those conversations with you. There is a, a, a group on Facebook. Uh, the Life Writing Group on Facebook. We communicate with them. And what we want is for you to succeed and have the healthiest, most creative and successful, happiest life filled with love and joy. Thanks so much to our guest, Patton Oswalt. I think, uh, who is, uh, apparently was abducted by aliens, is my story. Sure, I'm here. 
Guys, Hello, he's, he's here. He's here. Oh, and he's Yay. in the car. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He went okay. to your car. You're the, so the sweet. Power, the power went out in my house. I had to go. I had to manually get the gate open. I got in my car. I drove down here. I'm in a parking lot of a big five sporting goods store. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. I, so I, know, and I, I know exactly what happens. Someone, there's this power pole on the road behind our house, and I can hear all the, when I was driving away, all the, Rescue vehicles are going up there. Someone ran into it. They're always running into it. This happened last year. What? Literally, the power went out in my house. I've been. I finally drove down. I found a signal. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, no. no. Yeah. Said, we were talking about life gets in the way. This is life. Life is what happens while you're making other plans, bro. I mean, it's like we have to. We have to roll with this. You, you are a delightful human being. I cannot being. believe you went to all that trouble. Yeah. Well, while, you're a minch. While you're here, <laughs> while you're here. Yeah. What was the question you wanted to ask him? What is your yeah. relationship between stress and creativity? Yeah, how do you handle <laughs> stress in your life? You know. Obviously, you laughter. Know, I, I, I used to be very. I would really, really get stressed out and and wound up about things. And one thing that's been really eye opening for me is there's a generation coming up that is rejecting that old model of you've got to grit your teeth and you've got to like no you can take care of your health first that that whole yes term, the show must go on like no that's silly don't don't wipe yourself out like you you life is long take care of yourself that's fine and, and so there are moments when there are days like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast uh to that you sunday you didn't want to get out of bed and some days when I don't want to move, it's my body going, I'm going to need you to lie down for a little bit. Exactly. I need you to move because I got some stuff to fix. I my A couple of years ago, I really threw my back out and I went to an acupuncturist to because I could barely move and I had to act. I was performing in something. Mm. And she said, well, you know, the reason that your back is out, it's not because you did anything, it's because there's something wrong and your body is trying to immobilize you so it can fix it. In mm. other words... Your back being flared up is your body taking care of you. Just like when you get a cold, the runny nose and the nausea and the fever isn't the cold. That's your defense system yes. trying to get rid of the cold. And a lot of times when you take the medicine too quickly, you just lock the cold in you longer. Yeah. So there, there's that thing of like when, when your body is telling you something, listen to it. Absolutely. You know, you know I just you start with that survival thing whether life is long or short we live it one day at a time we live it yes. one moment at a time any day any day that i do not tell my wife that i love her that i do not tell my son that i love him that i do not reach out and enjoy having had one more day of this existence that's a wasted day i will not waste my time on this planet i will not right do you have any rituals or practices Patton, that help you stay balanced I meditate twice a day as Excellent. much as I can. What but for? Again, what type of meditation do you use? Uh, it's a transcendental meditation. Oh. I do. I have a. I have oh. a mantra. Excellent. I do it for twenty minutes. I find a quiet place if it's noise. Although lately, because I've been reading a lot about uh, the roots of meditation, everyone thinks that meditation and the art of peace were people up in the quiet mountains contemplating. The people that that invented meditation were in busy urban centers that had to find a way to find quiet in the middle of all of this craziness right. so a lot of times i don't mind having the sounds of life around me that doesn't as long as no one is addressing me that becomes part of the meditation that life is going even when life is going on around you you can find a quiet space for 20 minutes it's just 20 minutes what? and i'm I, i've also become it. very very not bold but just comfortable with going Hey, um, I need, is there a room somewhere I can go and just meditate for 20 minutes? Like if I'm somewhere and people usually accommodate you. That's you know, great. Th today I was meditating and my son came into the room to ask me something. And I used that as part of the meditation. It's like, yeah. let me, let me stay peaceful and centered. This is my life. My son is not an interruption. He is my life. The yes. cat that wants to crawl into my lap. This is my life. If I can stay I calm in the midst of chaos, if I can find, you know, it's like, what, the water running between the rocks. If you get your ego small enough, the obstructions in your life are interesting, but you can observe them rather than feeling like they're they're part of you. I have to deal with this right now. No, right now you have to live. That's right now. now you have to live. I love that. I'm I'm going to use that too. Wow, that's amazing. It's it's a beautiful life. Is just beautiful. Every time I talk to someone like you, 
who has taken something that you love and turned it into the thing that supports them. What I want to know is, how did you do it? Yeah. How did you do it? You know, yeah. just sharing that. That's what I feel like we should give our children is yeah. we, we, humanity spent most of its existence fighting for survival. I think we're getting a different set of options now. We can thrive. We can, you know, we yes. can love. And I, you know, the thing was, I just, I loved what I was doing way before I was successful at it. So I was very fortunate that I loved the hang. I love hanging out with comedians. I loved that life, even though I wasn't seeing any material gain. And and to me, that is always the indication of the thing that you, you should pursue in the long run. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we love artists and it's, it feels silly to use the word fan. I've admired your work for so long and it's just, you know, storytelling, uh, comedy and the, yeah, Modoc. the, the intelligence. Just thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for the oh. gift of laughter. Thank you for taking care of yourself. I'm trying to, but guys, seriously, I'm sorry that I had to drop out of the. No, like, this is life getting in the way, and we just illustrated it. <laughs> exactly right. And notice how we dealt with it with laughter and, and love. We did. Amazing. <laughs> From the big fire. Lightning in a bottle. Thank you so uh, much, Pat and Oswald. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for being on the Life safe. Writing Podcast. Wonderful year, and hopefully, we'll talk to you again one day. Yes, you will. Thanks, guys. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Welcome. You've got the digital folklore. Monsters lurk in the shadowy corners of the internet. Our darkest fears peer back at us from the depths of the web. We can. (coughs) Hey, holy. Hey, Linda Blair. Are you all right? No. Can we maybe do this a different tone? Hey there, I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. On our podcast, Digital Folklore, we explore monsters, memes, and everything in between. Looking at our digital expressions through the lens of folklore, we break down the stories and communities we create online. And we try to make it a lot of fun. The show is presented in an audio drama style with a narrative and soundscape that's designed to draw you in. We weave insightful research and expert interviews with humor and storytelling. Come check it out. Search Digital Folklore wherever you get your podcasts.